One day in 2018, Danielle Druin, who was 27 at the time, got an Instagram message she was pretty sure was spam. Something about participating in an experiment and about reality TV, she just ignored it. But it turned out the message was from a producer of a real reality TV show that was set to debut on Netflix, and they wanted to know if she would be interested in participating. Eventually, they did get a hold of her. So they told me what their goal was that, you know, people nowadays, especially in our age group, are having a hard time making real connections. And it's so easy now to just find an easier option, right? People just are swiping, swiping, swiping. They go on one date. They never really try. You know, it's so easy to find something better or the grass is greener. People play this little game nowadays, right? And no one really puts their true self out there anymore. And I was about it. I was like, you're preaching to the choir. Like, this is why I don't really date. Like, I was like, I would love to be a part of something like this. You know, I'm in. What Danielle had agreed to be a part of turned out to be the hit Netflix reality TV show, Love is Blind. Welcome to Love in the Time of Everyone, where we tell stories about the ways relationships have changed over time. I'm your host, Emily Diekman. If you haven't seen Love is Blind, good for you for not watching reality TV. And if you have seen it, good for you because I love that show. My mom and I watched it together in the early days of COVID-19 lockdowns in the U.S. So... If you've been living under a rock or something, the premise of Love is Blind is that a group of people go on these quote-unquote blind dates, as in the people on the date are in two separate rooms talking through a wall. They can hear each other, but they can't see each other. The idea was to see whether people would be able to fall in love and even get engaged without knowing what the other person looked like. Apparently, yeah, they can. When I watched the 10-episode first season of the show... I thought it was going to be solely focused on the couple's time getting to know each other in these separate rooms, what the show calls the pods. Then they'd get engaged after like a few weeks, the show would end, and it would be wild. But actually, they only spent 10 days in the pods. In the first episode of the show, just five days into the experiment, Cameron Hamilton proposes to Lauren Speed, and she says yes. For the record, they know this sounds insane. There's this really funny line in the show where Lauren says, quote, Five days in, I know who I want to be my future husband. I can't believe it. It's only been five days. Oh my god, I've had meals in my refrigerator longer than that. That's crazy. I was hardly expecting one couple to get engaged, let alone six. Clearly, neither were the contestants. And apparently, neither were the producers. If you've seen the show, you probably remember six couples that got engaged and went on a trip to Mexico, and then five of them that went on to live together for a few weeks before having weddings. Not all of them actually ended up getting married. But actually, eight couples got engaged on the show, and we only saw six of their stories. Today, Danielle talks about her experience on the show falling in love, getting engaged, and later watching the show and being surprised to see it look like she wasn't even there. But let's back up. I had like, at that point, I was like, just done. I feel like I was at a point where I was like, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life because I had just so many like crappy boyfriends and like, I like poured my heart and soul right into these relationships. And I just had so many bad relationships. And I was like, is there anybody good out there anymore? Like, probably not. And then like, in my head, I convinced myself like, I'll probably just be single forever. (laughs) 
So Danielle agrees to do this thing, which the producers keep referring to as the experiment, making it sound honestly kind of cult-like. She hands over her phone, takes some time off work, and tells her family she's off to do this thing that she can't explain and will be unreachable for a while. They get there, and the contestants are separated by gender. Obviously, the men and women can't see each other, or that defeats the point. But the women realize they actually have some friends in common. All of the contestants were from Atlanta, so some of them knew each other already. For example, Kelly and Jessica, who both got engaged and were featured throughout the show, were already friends, but neither of them knew that the other person would be there. Another thing that all the contestants had in common, besides living in Atlanta, is that they were conventionally beautiful. My mom and I were joking while we watched the show about how it wasn't really testing whether love was blind, you know? Like, how big of a risk is it if you know you're going to end up with a hottie no matter what? Maybe this hottie isn't your usual type, but they're going to have, like, perfect teeth and an amazing figure. They're not going to, God forbid, be fat or be visibly disabled or have severe acne or any of these actually stigmatized things in our society. I think most people have the sense that conventionally attractive people have better lives, or at least maybe easier lives. Our culture, and maybe most cultures, associates beauty with goodness, right? I mean, just think of any fairy tale. And this pays off for some people. This, of course, is not meant to disparage conventionally beautiful people, like genuinely good for beautiful people for being beautiful. This is just an observation, not an attack. Anyway, I wanted to talk to an expert about this idea of attractive people having better or easier lives. Like, is that true? Um, So I'm Viren Swamy. I'm professor of social psychology at Anglia Ruskin University. Um, One of the things I I look at is interpersonal relationships and why we form relationships. And I've written a book called Attraction Explained, which is now in its second edition. Viren told me there's a huge range of studies that show that attractive people basically receive a premium in their everyday lives. Just a few examples he gave. Attractive people are more likely to be hired, less likely to be fired, and tend to receive higher starting wages. If you were ever in a, in a, in a vehicle accident, you better hope that the people who come to help you perceive you to be attractive because they're much more likely to help an attractive victim compared to someone who's less attractive. Um, even in kindergarten, attractive children are much more likely to be treated positively by their teachers and they tend to have wider social networks as well. Probably the best examples though of the, this kind of premium for attractiveness comes from dating. On online dating sites, for example, um, attractive daters are much more likely to be asked out on dates. They're much more likely to receive messages from potential suitors. Um, Um, they're much more likely to go on dates. And according to at least one study, they're even more likely to have sex and enjoy the sex that they have when they are perceived to be attractive. I think another example of this pretty privilege, I guess you could say, is that the people on the show didn't have to worry or worry too much that they would fall in love with someone who never seen them and then have that person meet them and be disappointed. And, you know, vice versa. Knowing that the people on the other side of the wall are all generally attractive means that you don't need to worry or worry too much about falling in love and later realizing you can't be with this person because of the way they look. Like, you're all kind of on the same page, or I guess you could say in the same league. But Danielle says the contestants actually didn't know that. So when I saw all the other girls, I was like, wow, like everybody is so beautiful. Like, 
So then I started to get all these like crazy conspiracy theories, right? I was like, what if all the guys are really hideous? (laughs) And like, I was like, are they trying to set us up? Like that really, like we were talking about that. We were like, what if they're trying to set us up? What if it's like a bunch of, you know, not so attractive guys and to show the world, like it's not about looks and stuff like that. And then we were like, well, what if they're not even people at all? What if it's like, oh my gosh, what if it's like her and it's a bunch of like artificial intelligence, you know? So we, because we didn't know, like we were only with the women. Like I was only with the women and the guys were only with the guys. So I know that the guys had similar, similar thoughts because we spoke about it afterwards, but at a point, like we started like poking at production and like anybody we could and we're like, no, 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 like tell us like are they okay looking? Like, <laughs> please, like, <laughs> is this somebody I really, you know, will be okay with? And they were like, yes, like, you see all the women, like, all the guys are the same, you know, equal, whatever, par, whatever, you know what I mean? So we're like, okay, like, that's great. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so that anxiety lifted. They start spending time in the pods. These are long days. Danielle said sometimes they would literally spend 20 hours in the pods. It started off with all of the women going on short dates with all of the men, so they all got to meet each other. At the end of each day, they would give the producers a list of the people they liked best, the people they were connecting with the most, and then the producers would like algorithmically shift things around so that everyone had more time with the people they were vibing with, and everyone's pool got smaller and smaller. But again, backing up, On day one, date one, Danielle walked into a pod, and this guy says hi. I opened the door, and I was so nervous because, you know, we had to walk down that crazy red hallway, and it was all the way at the very end, and I was like, I felt like I was sweating. I don't know if I was, but I was just so nervous. And, like, I opened the door, and, you know, all of a sudden, I just hear this voice, and he's just like, hey, hello, and it was Rory. And when this, like... Honestly, like this just huge weight was lifted off of my shoulders when I just heard him say hello. And we just connected instantly. And I was like, okay, this is real. Like, he's such a great guy. Like, I feel so much more comfortable now. This is like, this is a real thing, right? Like, because, you know, you're so skeptical until <laughs> until you're there. From the beginning, I like was trying to like dibs him and I was like Rory is my guy like Rory 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 (laughs) and you know like I was connecting a lot with the other guys as well and like had some really amazing conversations but Rory had my heart but then a few days later Danielle starts to feel like she's really connecting with this other guy Matt it's so weird and they're spending these hours and hours every day talking to each other and not seeing each other and like they're a few days away from proposal day I was really surprised how quickly we grew so close because I'm all, I've always been a very open person and I feel like I wear my heart on my sleeve and I think it's important to, to talk about things in your past and kind of bring up why you are the way you are or why you have certain views or, you know, things like that. So but it was really amazing to be in an environment where everyone was on the same page and how quickly we were all telling each other our deepest, darkest secrets, our lowest points of our lives, our 
hardest tragedies we've gone through, our, you know, biggest achievements and, you know, our childhood and, you know, just really serious stuff, like serious stuff. And like, we, I mean, Rory knew everything about me. I like after day four, probably, I think I told him every secret of my life. It's funny because when you're watching the show, this is so not clear. The footage you see is of people agreeing about nearly universal topics like family is important to me. Or there's this one scene where a woman says, integrity is everything. I'm definitely super Christian. And the guy she's talking to, who turns out to be her future fiance, says, wow, we're the same person. Like what? Or one woman says that a thing she likes about a guy is that he has a good personality and that he has morals and that he likes to travel. Danielle seemed to feel that some of the footage shown on the show made these connections that people were forming, a lot of which were really intense and based on super important, super real information, seem weirdly shallow. Yes, and that's, and yeah, and that's all people saw. And they were like, oh, look, they connected over Chicago and and Italian beef. And it was like, no, it was so much more than that. You know, like I was in there like, crying my eyes out talking about how my best friend passed away when I was a teenager and how it changed the course of my life and how I had to raise my younger siblings. And, you know, like so many deep things we were talking about and, and just like we were really falling in love with somebody's spirit. Right. And their true character. And, and like, that's what they chose, you know, <laughs> that's what they chose to show. <laughs> what? So like she said, connections are forming fast and furious. Danielle's got strong feelings for two people and she doesn't know what to do. Everything's happening more quickly and with more intensity than she expected. It, I can't even explain to you like how bizarre it was because you <laughs> would think that it would be difficult and you would think that there would be just too much going on. And, you know, you're on camera and there's all these crew there and you're not even seeing the person, right? So you think it would be hard, but it was so easy. And honestly, they created, I feel like, the perfect environment to thrive and to make that really intense human connection because they took everything away from us first. And and that's a huge thing now you know, in this day and age, people are so connected to social media and their phone and they're never really present. And that's a huge problem. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to connect with people and even have a conversation because they're not present. So they took everything from us. They like stripped us of everything. You know, we, we didn't have our phones. We didn't have our family. Like we were just at this place. We couldn't leave. We only had each other. And we were there to only do one thing. And we had like no downtime to do anything else. Like we didn't have books. We didn't have TV. We didn't have music. So it's like we were forced to to sit with our thoughts, uh, who we were as a person, what we wanted out of a relationship and, you know, what our ideal partner looks like to us as we navigated through, you know, this crazy speed dating sort of situation okay see what i mean about how it sounded like it could possibly be a cult though anyway i asked virian why he thought these connections might be forming so quickly and intensely 
In his book, he writes about a phenomenon called the misattribution of arousal, a term coined by the researchers Stanley Schachter and Jerome Singer. Basically, this concept is that when you experience physiological arousal, like a fast heart rate or sweating, it's possible to misinterpret the source of that arousal. For example, researchers have found that if you ride a roller coaster next to someone, you rate the person as more attractive after the ride than you would before. It's like, I'm sweaty, my heart's racing, I don't know. Maybe it's because this person's hot. Maybe it's because I like them, you know? I wondered if maybe this is what's happening to the contestants. They're in this really intense environment, no outside contact, 20 hours a day of talking to potential partners, surrounded by camera crews. Danielle mentioned that racing heart and nervous sweat on her first day. So knowing all of this, could they just be experiencing intense pressure or excitement or something and mislabeling that in their minds as love? Virian said he doesn't think so, actually. I suspect there's something more general going on. If you've already invested so much in the show, you've had your phone taken away from you, you've been secluded, you can't talk to your friends, you can't tell anyone about the show for a specific amount of time or whatever, your life changes. And the way you negotiate that life change might be to say, I really need this to be successful. I really need this to work. It's simply a kind of psychological defense mechanism because if it doesn't work, you've wasted all that time. You've wasted all that energy and that effort going on the show, having been secluded from your friends your family so what was it all for so you want it to work and you're invested in it working Danielle is still wrestling with these super strong feelings for two different people Rory and Matt are friends actually and they each know about Danielle's relationship with the other person if you watch the show you know they weren't the only people with this problem there's definitely a couple of love triangle type things going on but the way Danielle talks about her feelings in this time makes it sound like there might be something to Viren's theory and for some reason, I did feel this crazy pressure that I had to make a decision. Like, I don't know why, but like, I really did. I had this pressure that I felt like I had to make a decision when there was more than just two options in reality. I could have left with no one. I could have left and just figured my life out, right? And, you know, they weren't going to be gone forever in reality. Like, I could have, you know, but at the time... You had invested so much into it for the process and for everything. And like, I was in like a different headspace and I felt like, oh, I need to make a decision, you know? (laughs) It's weird. It's like a different reality almost. It comes down to what the show calls engagement day or like the deadline for people to get engaged if they want to. I talked to Matt first that day and he basically, um, he just put his whole heart out there And he told me that he didn't want to play by the rules and that he wanted to continue our relationship, but he did not want to do it the way that they wanted to. So he said that he was leaving and he asked me to leave as well and that we could continue our relationship outside of what the show wanted for us and having to, you know, get married on their terms and that kind of thing. And I told him that I didn't know what I was going to do and that I was so sorry, but I, I couldn't give him a decision without talking to Rory first. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm 
like, I'm sorry. Like, I really care about you. And I was crying. I was like such a baby. And I was, like, then she went to see Rory. Rory was ready to get engaged, to see this journey they'd started together through to the end. Danielle felt like he was committed to the process, to seeing this through. And when she talked to him, she felt at ease. They spent some time talking, and as their time was coming to a close, it happens. The contestants on the show could send each other gifts, so a few days before, Danielle had sent Rory a box of Lincoln Logs as a little token. She'd grown up in a log cabin, and it was this cute gesture that she told him represented wanting to build a home with him someday in the future. So engagement day... You know, we we didn't actually like have rings or anything, and we were proposing through a a wall. And I still didn't actually know if he was a hundred percent gonna propose. Like I didn't know. Like we talked about like it, like proposing, but I really had no idea what was gonna happen when I went in there. And um, he had them leave one Lincoln log in my room, and he had a Lincoln log, and he wore like a lumberjack shirt. And he was like, pick up your Lincoln log. He's like, I'm holding my Lincoln log. <laughs> and he got down on one knee. And he asked me, he asked me to marry him with a Lincoln log through a big screen. <laughs> I said, yes. And I was just like, and we had waited to the very last second to do this. Like our time was up. So they were like, basically like, five four like counting us down so it was very like will you marry me and i was like yeah there you go and i was like very i was very emotional and then after that it's like then you're in like oh my god i'm engaged what i'm like is this real i'm engaged yeah it was crazy it was just crazy danielle and rory didn't get to meet face to face until the next day she said it was the longest day of her life all of us girls were so anxious and we were like I swear we all fixed our hair and our makeup like 25 times that day like just anxiously awaiting the moment because we were like we were all scared shitless and if anyone says anything different they're lying like (laughs) we were so nervous (laughs) um and you know they had that crazy long walkway in between us and like we were on one side and they were on the other side and then like the open the doors at that moment and there's like a red carpet in between and like it was just it was crazy it was like I, and there was a huge crew right there's like i don't know there's like 45 <laughs> 50 people watching us and it was such a special moment but like everything else just canceled around and i just it was just it was just us there you know So good news, Rory and Danielle did find each other attractive, which, as we already talked about, is not that surprising because they're both attractive. But Viren had a couple of interesting things to say about how getting to know a person without seeing their face can affect your opinion of how they look. One of the things we know is that when you have information, non-physical information about a person, it can influence how you perceive them physically. Um, And again, this is about what we call halo biases. So a halo bias is where one component of my being affects how I'm rated on another component. Um, And typically what psychologists might do is to say, how someone is perceived in terms of their personality or their sense of humor might affect how they're perceived physically. He uses himself as an example here. Say you meet Viren and you're like, yeah, he's not bad looking. I'd give him a six out of 10, I guess. But then you have a conversation with him and you're laughing and enjoying yourselves, just having a good time. He seems fun. It's not unlikely that 
if you were asked to rate him again after this interaction, you might give him, say, an 8 out of 10 because you're incorporating new information. But this can also extend a step further. There is another version of this, which is what my colleagues and I have called the love is blind bias, which is when people enter into a relationship, they perceive each other as more as more attractive, firstly, more attractive than themselves, but then also more attractive than would objective observers. Um, and we call this love is blind bias because it's essentially the kind of the, the kind of uh, it's actually a term from Shakespeare, but the, the kind of. Um, analogy here is wearing rose-tinted glasses when you perceive your partner this person who you're in a relationship with and you like them very much and you love them you care for them you're essentially putting on rose-tinted glasses and you're perceiving them through those these kind of rose-tinted glasses everything's beautiful but your partner is even more beautiful than ever before researchers think that the love is blind bias might exist because it makes you feel good you know if you think your partner is more attractive than you then you feel like you're punching above your weight, like you're doing pretty good. It also might mean that you're more willing to invest in the relationship to maintain it. Maybe we're designed to be this way, to help relationships last. Maybe, and this is me speculating, not a researcher, maybe the contestants really would have found each other attractive no matter what. But ultimately, Viren is skeptical about the show's premise, or about the idea that appearances might not matter at all. If anything, it makes, I suppose, the kind of what they, what the producers really want us to question is how important is appearance to a relationship? The short answer is it's incredibly important. But even if you kind of set that aside, can you form a relationship with someone based on non-physical traits alone? And again, the short answer is you could probably get to that point where you can form a meaningful relationship with someone without actually seeing what they look like. And lots of people may actually end up doing that. I mean, we're kind of basing our whole conversation here on sighted individuals and being able to visually see someone. But even if you get to the point where you're able to form a relation or form a meaningful connection with someone, and at some point you end up seeing that person, it may skew your judgment of that person. I'll give you a very simple example of this from my own personal life. Years ago, I used to, I went out on a date with this, who seemed like a very nice person. She actually, she was a very nice person. But when I met her in real, in, in real life, I met online. And when I met her in real life, she, she reminded me physically of an aunt that I have. And that for me was something that I couldn't get past. And it had nothing to do with her because she was attractive and she was physically attractive and also a very nice human being. But this kind of randomness is something that you can't predict. And it's very difficult to get to a point where you can say you have enough information to be able to say, I can predict with enough accuracy that two people are going to have a, a meaningful, solid, great relationship. You can't you can't get to that point. And I, I guess what these kind of reality shows are end up, ending up doing is giving you a false impression of what relationship formation is really like. It tells you you can separate all these different components out. And if you can get to a magic quotient somehow that you'll be able to predict with some degree of accuracy whether two people will be happy with each other. One thing Danielle does want people to know is that it was real. Whether it makes sense or not, and whether lasting and long-term love came of it or not, the contestants were truly invested in the process. You know, we all went on the show truly with like our hearts on our sleeve, like ready to find love and we're all real people and we're all diving into this very vulnerable state and yeah it was real i know a lot of people questioned it and thought it was fake right and they're like this is no way it could be real you know like no way people can make connections like this so fast or 
you know, who, who falls in love, you know, in a separate room, like, that's crazy. Like, but uh, one thing I just want to tell people is like, it truly was real. It, it motions and everything. It was all real the whole time. So back to the story. We've got these real people with real feelings and real engagements after all. Right after everyone has their big grand meetings, the men and women get separated again to go stay in a hotel. The next step is for the newly engaged couples to head to a resort in Mexico to get to know each other in person. However, instead, the production team told two of the couples that they hadn't expected the experiment to work so well, and that they simply didn't have the crew to follow all of those stories. They decided to cut two couples out of the eight that had gotten engaged from the running. They were like, so we had to make a decision and some people got, you know, cut. So they basically, and I was like, it was so hard for me to process all of this. I was just like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> what are you saying? So they were like, uh, so you're just free to go. And I was like, what do you mean? Go where? Free to go. Where do I go? Oh, you can go home. Like, it's, you know, this is it. What? <laughs> what, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, but Rory's downstairs. I said, oh, okay. You know, like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, like, after that, I was just like, okay, uh, I guess I'll get more information later. But we, I mean, I was really just like, so shocked and so confused. Like, so are we still in Engaged? Is it real? Are we really engaged? What do we do? Do we get married? Do we like? Do we tell? Do we go home right now and tell our families we're engaged? <laughs> like, what are what are we allowed to say? Are we even allowed to say that? Like, do we have to pretend like we don't know each other? What do we do? You know. They went to Rory's house and tried to think of a game plan. Danielle waited a solid twenty four hours before telling anyone she was back from her secret adventure. It was just so bizarre being suddenly thrown back into the real world. Yeah, but and without any kind of plan for us, right? They didn't. They didn't have. I don't, guess they didn't know. They didn't prepare for this, right? But I mean, we were not prepared for any of it. And I'm like, I thought I was engaged. I thought I was getting married. Now you're telling me, like, okay, do what you want. What? I'm so confused. When Danielle does turn her phone back on, she starts getting messages from Matt. He'd found her online and was telling her about how he was still in love with her. This is overwhelming. Danielle told me they were pretty much all out of their minds in this period. A few days later, they had to get together with the people from the show who weren't off in Mexico. The other engaged couple who'd been cut and all of the people who didn't get engaged who can make it. I'm going to give you an in-a-nutshell rundown of what happened from there. Danielle and Rory dated for a while, but she had these unresolved feelings for Matt that she felt like she needed to sort through. So she broke it off with Rory. She was single for a little while and then started hanging out with Matt and dating him. Eventually, they broke up too. Matt wanted an open relationship and Danielle didn't. There were some weird patches, but everyone's on good terms now. I don't have like any hard feelings or anything like that anymore. Like you live and you learn, right? And I'm a 100% like true believer in everything happens for a reason, reason and literally timing is everything, right? Timing is everything. So, um, so now I'm in an amazing relationship with my boyfriend, Carrington. He's like just the best thing ever in the world. I'm just so lucky to have him, honestly, blessed. 
Danielle and Carrington had been friends for over nine years before they got together. If you watched the After the Altar special that came out in summer 2021, you might have seen Danielle and Carrington there together. And since we did this interview, the couple's gotten engaged. They're planning to get married later in 2022. Danielle says her time on the show helped her to get to where she is now because it made her do some serious reflection about who she is, what she wants, and what's best for her. Rory and Matt have both said similar things in interviews. Rory told People Magazine that his connections on dates have been, quote, infinitely better. Matt told Screen Rant that the experience changed his life and the way he connects with people. Clearly, the show had some positive outcomes. But what about the original experiment, that central hypothesis? All throughout the show, the hosts, Nick and Vanessa Lachey, repeat this irresistible refrain. I had to ask Viren for his professional opinion. Is love blind? It depends what you mean. Because I don't think it's love that they're actually looking at on this show. It's a very skewed form of attraction. This is a this is a whole separate podcast, I suspect. But what is love? As a social psychologist, I understand love as something that's in, kind of exchanged between two people. It's how we do love rather than how we feel love. And that is a really difficult concept for a lot of people to understand because we kind of process love as this emotion that we feel. It's something that we feel inside our, ourselves when we care about someone. I understand love as a social psychologist as how we demonstrate love. What do you do for other people that means you're in love, that demonstrates that you're in love? Are you exchanging affection? Are you demonstrating your care? Are you demonstrating your warmth? Are you demonstrating compassion for the other person? That for me is real love. And you don't really have that on a show like a reality TV program, partly because everyone's watching what you're doing and how you're behaving is incredibly skewed when everyone's watching. But also in that very, very short term, it's really difficult to demonstrate these kind of exchanges of mutual care that demonstrate real love. So I don't believe they're, de- they're actually kind of talking about love on that show. Love takes time to develop. It takes nurturing. It takes care. It takes compassion to form real love. What they're really talking about is probably closer to attraction. Are they attracted? And is love or is attraction blind? Yeah, it sometimes can be, um, but often it's not. Spoken like a true academic. I don't ask Danielle this exact same question, but I do ask her for any final thoughts. And she said if she had to go back, she would do it all over again. There's no way you can't grow from this situation. Like the way people's lives changed after this was insane. People were quitting their jobs to start like their passion and career. You know, people were moving and like doing all this stuff. It was like very eye-opening and life-changing for all of us on a million different kinds of levels. So I, I would recommend it. I think that the experiment does work. Maybe it's unconventional, but it worked. I can honestly say that. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Love in the Time of Everyone. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and share with a friend. Thank you to Danielle for sharing her story about her time on and after the show, and for helping me look beyond the Italian beef and see the show in a new way. And thank you to Viren Swamy of Angela Ruskin University for his expertise and insight. Check out his book, Attraction Explained. He was funny and insightful in our conversation, and his humor and wit come through in the book as well. And thank you, of course, to the creators of Love is Blind for the entertainment. I love you. 
Thank you to Bridget Thumb for teaching me so much about podcasting, to KXCI for being this podcast's home, to Jeff Gardner for the podcast art, and to Local Kindergartner for the theme music. The Local Kindergartner EP, Spine, is available on Bandcamp. The obvious quote to leave you with is one from Shakespeare. Love is blind and lovers cannot see the pretty follies that themselves commit. But here's a bonus one I thought was even more appropriate from Jean-Paul Sartre. It's quite an undertaking to start loving somebody. You have to have energy, generosity, blindness. There is even a moment right at the start where you have to jump across an abyss. If you think about it, you don't do it.